Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Tom, it's good to be sitting here with you yet again. Uh, we do this weekly, and it's just great to see your face. Well, time. I'm glad to be able to do this as well. We've been doing this, it seems like, forever. Yes, we are quite excited about this particular podcast because we're going to do By What Standard, the film, one year in review. One year in The lessons we have learned in three over 365 days days post by what standards. So before we get into that, uh, let's remind our folks that we are having a conference in January and that conference is January 20th through the 24th. The 20th is actually a Wednesday. We're going to be having a pre-conference. We'd love for you to join us. If you haven't bought your plane tickets yet, then come on Wednesday the 20th. And if you have bought your plane tickets yet, uh, you can really get those changed up now because of Pretty COVID. Easy. So yeah. you need, just need to call and just come on the 20th and then plan to stay to the 24th on the 24th. That's uh, Sunday. We're going to have Vody Bacham preaching at Grace Baptist Church. We have so many things planned for this conference, it's hard to keep track of them. And it is. we want to make sure that you're aware of them because we're really going to have a great time. We're going to have an after party, first of all, which is just fantastic. So after that's what? It's going to be after the after last what? session on Friday. We're going to have an after party. We're going to have a good time, hang out. It'll be informal. Exhibitors will be open. So just mark Friday night. Don't make any plans Friday night because you'll want to be at the after party. And then Friday evening, we're having our fam dinner. A dinner for those who are in the fam and those that are interested in knowing about what Founders Ministries is doing, what we've got planned. Um, if you're not familiar with the Founders Alliance membership, we want to introduce you to that. And I think that dinner is going to be on site. It is going to be on site. And uh, we don't have all the specs yet, but it'll be reasonably priced and would love to have as many of you as want to come and participate in that mm-hmm. to join us for that as well. That pre-conference is Vody Balkum. So he'll be preaching Wednesday night. He'll be preaching Sunday morning. So he's like the bookends uh, on our conference. Very good. And a big special thank you to those who are already a part of our Founders Alliance membership. Uh, We continue to see that grow and it continues to resource us and really spur us on. I feel challenged by the support that we're having, certainly uh, spiritual prayer support and people who also support us financially. We have the Armory, which is uh, a platform with all sorts of content on it. We very often put up um, parts of our podcast or post podcast uh, interviews with folks there. Uh, All sorts of resources. Wield the Sword is there. And we actually have Wield the Sword episode two coming out very soon. And that thing is fantastic. We did a we did a preview of it with my family, with my kids. And uh, just a little teaser, the, the very like the beginning, my my daughter was like, this is scary. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just wait till your dad's face gets on the camera. I was like, it's really, really scary. Really scary. <laughs> that's right. That's true. So uh, Wield the Sword's up there. That's also on Amazon Prime. And so do check that out as episode two drops. Hey, yeah, let me, if you watch these episodes, and you appreciate them, then uh, it helps if you'll leave a review. That affects the algorithm somehow and how Amazon promotes that. And uh, I've noticed that we've gotten good reviews so far, but Mm -hmm. there was one Roman Catholic who was very upset. So he or she gave us a bad review. So if you're not a Roman Catholic uh, and you like what we're doing, then please go watch and give us a good review. That'd be helpful. And if you are Roman Catholic, you could always go watch it. Yeah, we want you to watch it. You probably would enjoy it as well. We're hopeful that you would. Uh, So... We actually have been working quite diligently for some time now on a book called Strong and Courageous, um, subtitled Following Jesus Amid the Rise of America's New Religion. And that book is now for sale, and it is uh, for sale at a pre-pub price. So if you go to founders.org, you can find that book. This is really the fruit of By What Standard, very fitting that we're going to be talking about By What Standard. When we finished By What Standard a year ago, one of the things we thought is that we needed to repent 
and uh, much of that repentance was over a pietism that held to certain truths but kind of kept them uh, up in the air and not on the ground and and found a way to say, well, I, I adhere to these things, but not being aware of the times, not being aware of the threats that are coming upon the church and the parts of Scripture that need to be emphasized if Christ's people would be edified, strengthened, equipped, and as an apologetic if the world would know that there is a God in Israel. So strong and courageous is coming out. Yeah, and it's um, the, the, this pietism we're talking about. We're not talking about being pious. We're talking about kind of a subjective, personal, me and Jesus type of way of thinking and living as a Christian. And so much of modern evangelicalism has been affected or infected by that. And, and we ourselves, as we saw it, we realized, oh, wait a minute, you know, we've got to do better than what we've done thus far. We've got to open our eyes to see some of the threats and dangers around us. And we have got to start exercising the kind of dominion that Christ has called us to as those who have the gospel and are responsible to make disciples of Jesus with that gospel throughout the whole earth. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's kind of the burden of the book. The book has grown out of conversations you and I have had. And I don't know if there's any way to calculate the mm. hundreds, if not thousands of hours of conversations that we've had as we've tried to shepherd the flock here, as we've talked about founders and what we need to do and how we should uh, try to teach to help people beyond our local church. And so I'm excited about the book. I think it's going to be good. We've sent it out to some folks who uh, read it for us in manuscript form. Uh, Tom Buck, a pastor friend uh, who's uh, really a good guy, he has twice now sent me notices back because of his conversation with other pastors. He's saying, man, your book is needed yesterday. Mm. Uh, He talked about a, a pastor contacting him, a a well-known pastor, saying, you know, we've just been given orders not to meet as a church, and what are we going to do, and I'm not sure how to navigate this. Our elders are talking about this. Well, we address those things in this book, and um, this is where we are culturally, and I think this book addresses the needs that we are facing as Christians in the West right now. Yeah. You could say that we don't pull any punches. So some people have said that we don't pull any punches in this book, that it's hard hitting. Yeah. Oh, and you know, it was funny. It didn't feel that hard hitting when we were doing it. We were because we it. hit each other but pretty hard I'm all like, the time. Okay, you know? maybe. <laughs> but I read back through and I thought, okay, yeah. But it's just, this is the way I think we have to, to, to deal now. We have to be honest and we have to speak the truth in love. And we do identify um, what we call like a hardened secularism as America's new religion. We try to spell out some of the dimensions of that new religion and then talk about how to defend against certain inroads and ways that it would come in upon us. Also, how to go uh, on the offense mm-hmm. and things that Christians need to be doing and how they're to do that in all spheres in the church, in the home, and in the world. So Dr. Mark Coppinger, it was great to have him read it. He wrote the preface to it and yeah. uh, his preface was wonderful. Dr. Tom Nettles and Dr. Jim Scott Ork. Uh, I, I responded to one of those men, I think, said, man, you're, you know, you're, commendation of the book makes me want to read it. So I was very <laughs> yeah. encouraged by that. I'm looking forward to going back and reading it. There you go. So strong and courageous uh, pre-pub sale. Well, it's been one year since By What Standard, and we're actually going to, as we talk about it, we're going to put all of our By What Standard materials on a 10% off sale. Yeah. And so we have all sorts of stuff. We got t-shirts. So T-shirts are now 10% off just in time for Christmas. Blu-ray. You got Blu-ray, 10% off. You got the book, Buy What Standard, 10% off. Hannah, do we have anything else that's Buy What Standard? Is that it? Those things. Okay. Buy, sure? yeah. buy What Standard, the book. All of that is 10% off for a limited time. Limited time. Um, we also have a Christmas sale going on, which we should mention, which yeah. is 25% off of everything in the uh, founder's store. I believe so all, is, all of our books. Does that mean... 
35% off the buy what standard stuff then? If it's 10% plus 25%? That's actually a really good question. Hannah, do you know? Hannah doesn't know. Yes, it's 35% off all buy what standard stuff for the next week. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So it's, I mean, we have to, if we're going to do 10% off and that we're makes going to get sense 25% to off, then you can tell that we're really organized here at Founders <laughs> Ministries. I'm Tom, our marketing director, yes. by the way. Uh, <laughs> Tom just wants to give everything away all of the time. Yeah, but we make up for it in how much volume we do. That's true. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. So go check out those sales. By the standard, we, we, somebody uh, sent a picture out and it was the picture of us when we did the film release, the first showing yeah. and right here at Grace at our conference. And um, there we were discussing it. And that took me back. Because, boy, it's been a, there's a lot that's gone on personally uh, Mm -hmm. in the last 365 days. So as you reflect back to the actual showing of that film, what was it like? What do you remember? Yeah, well, that that image, I think Hannah took the picture and um, it's you and me and David Shannon um, up there on the platform talking about the production of this Cynodoc. And it was a sobering time for me. You know, I mean, I, I don't know what I expected to feel, but it wasn't celebration. I mean, I was grateful to God that the project was completed and that we had actually made it to the finish line and now would be available for people to see. But watching it in that context, I mean, there was just a real sense of uh, sobriety. I think I was feeling some of the weight of repentance that, you know, this, the fact that this was needed is evidence of our failure and yet also recognition that God has done this, that he kept us through what were multiple challenges, many hurdles, that any one of which it would have been understandable had it scuttled the whole project. But God just kept enabling us to overcome and to persevere, to bring it to completion. So, yeah, as I watched that, I looked at that picture. Somebody commented online, you know, that David Shannon looks like he hadn't slept in a while. And I said, we well, probably hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> and and if you much. knew what we'd gone through to get to that point, because there was opposition. I mean, we had people up till like the last day, two days. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't release this. Uh-huh. Pull back and yeah, uh, that was God's grace that we were able to endure that. And yeah. even looking back, I remember watching it. And one of the things we were charged with a bunch of times through the release of the trailer and through all the promotion of it and everything leading up to it was, you know, this is unloving, uncharitable. And I remember feeling more love in my heart, you know, just sensing I, like I love everybody. Like if you were if you were in the film. You know, all of these people that, that are mm-hmm. that are there that we're trying to correct. And we were trying to do this from the very beginning, saying your brothers and sisters, this is coming in upon the church. Don't be taken captive by these mm-hmm. things and all the false charges that came our way. I really did. I said, you know, I, first, I don't claim that I do everything right and all my corrections of my brothers and sisters. So I'm willing to acknowledge that. But also, I'm like not going to not going to buy into the whole guilt manipulation, moral posturing nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really love folks. Yeah. And we watched that film. And I was like, this is so, I'm so grateful that this is going forth. Yeah. Um, will people, do people misinterpret and stuff like that? Well, sure. People do that. But I remember feeling like a confidence before the Lord. Uh, there was so much diligent work that went in and there's been other initiatives to try to point out some of the dangers of kind of CRTI uh, in, in evangelicalism. Right. And I remember the diligent work of checking every scene oh, yeah. and like, and yeah. then we'll looking at all the context and saying, okay, is this really 
uh, is this really uh, an, an instance of CRTI or someone who is who has moved far enough away from Scripture that it needs to be corrected and it's been uh, it's been uh, taken captive by this kind of ideology and all that doesn't work and you still have people who have even recently signaled uh, little clips taken out of context. <laughs> yeah. I don't doubt that people do that, but I remember the hard work that went into making sure these are accurate representations. Yeah, and, and the curves that uh, we had to negotiate because we had folks that agreed to uh, be interviewed for this and then say, you know, take me out, take me out. Don't use me. Don't use me. And, um, you know, guys that were scared and then guys that had supervisors telling them they can't be in there. And uh, I remember pleading with different folks saying, look, this is going to be good. And your voice would be helpful to have here. And what you said was right. And will even help the entity that you are a part of and talking mm-hmm. to entity heads about that. Um, so that, ought, that was a challenge. Yeah. And we ought not get ahead of ourselves. Cause what I want to do for, I want, I want to deal with kind of the wake of this, um, culturally, uh, what, what's mm-hmm. happened over the last 365 days, um, since the drop of the film culturally, and then what's happened in the Christian world. Yeah, and but, there's so many things I want to talk about, about the Christian world. But before we do that, why don't we talk about just the impact of the film itself, as far as we know, uh-huh. because I mean, it's been over 200,000 yeah. viewings that we know of and, uh, multiple churches have shown this. I mean, I've been contacted by countless numbers of pastors, some of whom have shown it like on Sunday nights over a three or four week period. Uh, some who've done it all at once and talking about the impact, the positive impact that it's made on their congregations, how it's helped them to understand things that were going on and then to be awakened to things that they didn't even realize were going on. So the, the film itself has had a valuable life already. Praise yep. God for that. It is equipping folks to be awakened to the dangers that are all around us. And as you pointed out in our culture as well as in our churches. And, and it's still going. We've got it now in six languages. Mm-hmm. So you can go to YouTube and you can click under the uh, language and you have six different languages. I think it's Mandarin, Portuguese, Spanish, and I don't know uh, all the yeah. rest of them. But it's available. And we've heard from people around the world who've watched this and been grateful to God because of the energy, the time, the effort put into it. And I think we should also recognize that that, uh, that couldn't have happened without people who are willing to invest in this. That was an expensive project and people donated money so that we could produce it and give it away for free online to anybody who wants it. Yep. Amen. And one of the things that has come just as I've thought about the impact is helping people to see um, what intersectionality and critical race theory are and mm-hmm. how they operate. But then hopefully um, showing a little bit of the worldview. There's a wonderful section where Glenn Sunshine actually goes and walks through uh, Marx and Gramsci mm-hmm. and that whole that whole dimension is so helpful. And then seeing ways that even evangelicalism can kind of wet up to it. You know, there's a, there's, there's a tendency to try to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And we came in and said, you can't right. do it. It's oil and water. There is no mixing. There is no third thing. There is no tertiary right. quid. I mean, that was really some of my, uh, a friend, you know, who is in the film and uh, who is, uh, I disagree with. And I think he's in danger. I think he's adopted these, many of these views. He's trying to, he, he's saying, I'm not uh, an advocate. Yeah. I'm not an advocate. I'm not promoting this as a worldview. Uh, but he's clearly trying to wed the two. Yeah. And the problem is you can't do that. You will, as a Christian leader and pastor, lead people up into this. And so one of the kind of uh, objections that have come is, well, then, you know, we're, there aren't people that are really advocating this as a worldview. Uh, well, first, there are. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, and then the, 
this idea that you can somehow have a harmony and somehow have a blending of these two two ideas, two worldviews, is erroneous. It's just yeah. wrong, and it's malpractice as a Christian pastor and leader to claim that you somehow can, which yeah. is what Resolution Nine was all about. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that explains. I don't know how many. I, I would say at least ten, including last night. I got a message last night. Uh, messages that have said, "Thank you for the synodoc. It, it has changed my life." I mean, that's strong language, but this guy last night, he says, it changed my life because it took me back to the scriptures. I started reading the scriptures right. and saw things I'd never seen before, and my whole outlook has changed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And this, this, so this is why, oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but where I believe the game's going is it's, we have to see intersectionality and critical race theory, these things, as fruits of a root, right. of a root of secularism. We've called like hard and secularism. There's other ways people might want to approach it, but- the, so the ultimate goal is to not clip out, clip off the top of the weed that's growing in the garden and say it's gone. Yeah, look, you can't see it anymore. You can't see it anymore. The critical race theory and the intersectionality are gone. The people that were that were teaching it, well, they're gone. And the people that said things publicly, well, they have now they said they will never say they, them again. They have they will never say them again. They've even said certain affirmations. They haven't gone back and actually repented of what they said, but they've kind of affirmed the opposite publicly. And all and this is a clipping off of the top of, of the of the weed, and that. The, the whole goal was not to do that. I've actually had conversations with guys at uh, very Southern Baptist uh, seminaries and institutions that have said, you know, guys that were really advocates trying to harmonize it, mm -hmm. a guy, I should say, and has told me, you know, there were other men that were with me that were teaching these things, that were harmonizing it the way right. that I was, but they're not because of what you did. Right, that's right. And I'm on the phone with this guy, <laughs> who's no longer at the institution and I've got more respect for him. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, at least, you know, you and I can stand here and disagree. You know, yeah. we can have this conversation. I can know where you stand. You can know where I stand, but our goal as ministers of God's word, you and I in making a film and books and all this stuff is not to get people to morally posture, right? It's right. not to get them to pragmatically not talk about something for a little while until the heat calms down. It's that's not what we were doing. We're not mm -hmm. trying to manipulate or threaten or do any of these things. Of course we weren't, but when you're dealing with pragmatic people and institutions that are just infected with pragmatism, um, even biblical corrections, they, they, they don't get down there to the heart and to right. the root in those situations. You just kind of posture and maneuver and check the weather and see which way the winds are blowing. And then you come out with a statement like yeah. the recent statement that came out by the seminary presidents where we are now, we're a year past by what standard and we're, we've got, we, we've had a 2020 that has been full, absolutely full of neo-Marxist application in our society, uh, mask mandates and fires in the streets and everything, the manifestation of everything we're talking about, where we have the president of the United States that has now banned CRT. And here the evangelicals are now that every, now that the battle has passed, us there's, too. A, there's a statement. Us too. Yeah. Include, include us in that. Now. Yeah. Since I've already jumped the gun and started talking about this, I've got a lot of thoughts on this for, for guys that are with us. I've heard a lot of guys that are expressing what I said, and they're just going to be saying, amen, amen, yeah, you know, take it to them. You know, I was reading in First Samuel where um, David goes after the Amalekites after they burnt down Ziklag, and David, David hustles after them. Um, I think it's 200 of the men uh, grow tired. 
and they stay with the baggage at, at, a, at a river. And they go down and fight the battle, and they win, and then they come back, and there's some worthless fellows among David's men that fought the battle that said, we're not going to give them any of the spoils. They can have their wives, but they're not getting the spoils because they didn't go to the battle. And what does David say? David says, brothers, don't do this with a victory that God has supplied. God is the one who has, who has delivered us. And as it is with those who go down to the battle, so it is with those who stay with the baggage. And that was wonderful because I'm glad that our seminary presidents and leaders of uh, the SBC are now on record saying that this is bad. This is bad. Now, whether it goes down to the root and why did it take so long? And all of those questions are right and appropriate. But I can give thanks to God and I can say, okay, as it is with those who go down to the battle, so it is with those who stay with the baggage. And let's, let's have this mentality that says, well, it doesn't mean that I'm going to trust you. It doesn't mean that necessarily I think that these should be the men that are in leadership. Uh, but I am not going to give into some kind of bitter, haughty spirit that says, well, you know, we really went down and did the hard work. And now, mm-hmm. you know, no, praise God for um, affirmations that CRTI are bad things. Much more could be said, but that at least needs to be said. Yeah. And, and we've had people that have stated this time and again, you know, man, you know, God has vindicated Founders Ministries. People owe you an apology. And, and you know, I'm not looking for an apology. That's not any, I don't have any interest in that. But here's what I do have an interest in. As Christians, if we are wrong about things, if we sin in some ways by either omission or commission, we have a gospel. And so there shouldn't be anything in us that makes us hesitant to say, you know what? I was wrong. You know what? I sinned. You know what? I failed. And praise God for the crucified, risen Savior Mm -hmm. that has covered all of my sins, all of my failures. And I don't have to posture I don't have to pretend. I don't have to somehow signal virtue like, oh, no, no, no. You know, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Just be honest and say, yeah, you know what? We blew it. You know what? This was wrong. And I was involved in what was wrong. And I'm sorry. But it's, it's like you can't expect that from evangelical leaders today. And I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, where's the gospel? Yeah, there are. Yeah, I, I amen what you say, because there are people that uh, knew better. They really didn't know better. Absolutely. And they understood what was happening and they just didn't have the courage to speak. And I think that is, that is the primarily recipients of that rebuke that you have offered. There are other people that are even in leadership that I believe um, didn't really know what was happening and might still not know what's happening. But, (laughs) but if we're making statements, let's go ahead and jump in on the statement. I think that we do a lot of that, but I, I, I don't, I think there are people that still don't know what's happening. This, uh, Carl Truman's book here, this book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, um, I'm only a chapter in and I'm absolutely loving it. I think he's going to be uh, dead on. And he had, he had a line in there that um, he, he's talking about the LGBTQ community, how we've seen all of these, these things enacted in our society, even at a civil level. But he was showing how we were primed for it. We were primed for it. It didn't come out of uh, out of thin air. Right. We were already. I think he calls it um, social imaginary, and he's riffing off of other people there. But he says, you know, 
in America, we have bought into this, like this, our moral consciousness has had certain pillars that have been perfect soil for what's happened here with the LGBTQ. And he just points to some of those things. And he talks about psychological man and then a priority of, of, uh, for the victim. And then this, uh, instinct and, and, uh, value of expressing my opinion and that, that is, that is necessary and it must be affirmed and accepted by other people before you get to anything LGBTQ, these sorts of pillars were, were there at the foundation. And as I'm reading that, I'm saying that's what happened here with the CRTI thing. Mm-hmm. That's what happened with resolution nine. Um, resolution nine is the fruit. Resolution nine is the SBC enacting the Obergefell right. decision, right? That, 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 right. Uh, the same but, route, but we've they, had the soil for a very long time. And I, this is why it's so critical to get this, because there's going to be people that think the CRTI just came out of nowhere. And what we need to do is take out CRTI. And if we take out CRTI, we're done. And that's going to be guilty of cutting off the stem and thinking that the, the weed, you know, down there, that is, the root is going to not produce again. Right. No, you can't do that. We're, there's people, we have to go and actually fight those battles. And what does it mean that our society puts a priority on victim and, victimhood? And what's the actual biblical way of understanding that? What is it that our society uh, says, you know, what matters most is your inner psychological life and then your right to express that opinion. And uh, Truman goes all the way to saying, you know, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body well yeah. truman doesn't say that truman uses that as a phrase as being said all right well, carl we're yes. sorry that was jerry carl wasn't is not me. actually committed to <laughs> that to that idea but, his but po- it's what he talks his point is his, his point is how did we get to a place where joe Plummer hears that statement and says well yeah you know lovingly i probably just need to acknowledge that this person's struggling he said you know joe Plummer hadn't read uh, Marcuse, he hasn't read Freud, he hasn't right. read uh, Descartes or any of these guys that have given rise to this way of thinking about the self, yep. who, who I am. And the, the socially constructed self that demands that the community affirm its construct is exactly what has given rise to not just to LGBTQ, but to intersectionality and all these other things. Right. And, and this is a, he speaks of, um, again, while you haven't read it, it's just the common notion in, yeah. in America. It's this intuition now. Operate. And what we need to do as Christians is actually go down there to the root and show how that root is erroneous. And here's what the Bible actually says. Yeah, and, and we have to do that on multiple levels. And, and, you know, we've said this a thousand times. I'm going to say it a thousand and one. We've got to go back to Genesis 1-1. This really is God's world. God is the one who sets the stage. He's the one that's created. He's the one that's given us the rules. He's the one that defines reality. He's the one who defines victimhood. He's the one who defines oppression. He's the one who defines love. Mm -hmm. And if we just say, oh, well, gosh, it's the most loving thing I can do to, you know, acknowledge this guy's a a woman trapped in a man's body. And so I, I need to affirm that's not love. Mm-hmm. God defines what is love. Yep. I've said before that my dad, um, he was a general contractor, went to work with him every summer growing up and just you know hated it because I was a lazy little kid and, you know, was learning how to work. And he had this great phrase, one of the best lessons he ever taught me. You know, he'd say, son, you're not the center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. And I, yeah, we need that. I remember. And it was, a, it was a lesson I needed to hear many times. And it's a lesson I did hear many times. Surprisingly, <laughs> how many times I had to be told that I wasn't. Because there I was again. I still need that lesson. I was there right. again. And that, that is, um, you know, 
Another thing Truman talks about, which is evident, um, is just this: you put man at the center, and he goes to he goes to uh, Rene Descartes, and that's, I think therefore I am. You put mm-hmm. the you put the knowing person at the center of everything. So why is that important? Well, um, we've got multiple battlefronts now, in my opinion. I was asked, "What's the greatest threat to the church?" I was at a I teach at a do a chapels at a. Um, classical Christian school and they have a worldview class with like um, high schoolers in it. There's a bunch of high school boys in here and they brought me in and the teacher said, you know, what's, what do you think is the greatest threat upon the church? And they had like secularism and postmodernism and they had all their isms. And I really said, well, we're, we're at this problem where we're fighting postmodernism right now and CRTI that's come into the SBC and all of that. Uh, but we really have um, a secularism or a modernism that has birthed forth this and we're gonna have to fight both of those at the same time and that's important for people to see because you need to you need to look at the moral posturing that's going on right now primarily in the sbc but that that may happen at other institutions and not just think that's the best thing since sliced bread like you know okay thank god for for these kind of statements but there is this pragmatism and this maneuvering that's happening while you're going to have people in my estimation not talk or, or even renouncing and standing against crti but the reformation has to go deeper it's going to have to go to why why did this happen and what are those truths that now need to be um, addressed and reformed and that's part of uh, a significant part of what's behind the plans for our conference in January, mm-hmm. the doctrine of God. We've got to come back to what does the Bible say about the God who is. Uh, we're dying by assumptions here. And we've assumed the gospel in many ways. We've assumed that we know who God is. We've assumed that we understand what the Bible says and what the Bible is, right. what the Bible does. And we've, we've got to come back to all of that and just humbly submit ourselves again to read Scripture with a sense of the fact that we're being addressed by our creator, that we are creatures, we are under him. He speaks, his word is truth, and that we need that. Otherwise, we will be enslaved for all of our existence. And it's hard. It's hard to have that conversation with people who have Bibles on their shelves and uh, they've gone to church all their lives and they may even be prominent, you know, in the Christian community. But we cannot afford to assume anymore. Yeah. So the foundational issues of who is God? What is a a a man or mankind? You know, what, what is male and female? The, the whole impetus behind wield the sword. And these episodes we're putting out is trying to do exactly that. Mm-hmm. Going back to what the scripture says about some of these fundamental categories, some of which we haven't talked about a lot in the last few decades, but they're important in order to understand how we are to live in God's world. But many of the categories like maleness and femaleness and authority of scripture, we have talked about, but we've talked about them in a way that has been disconnected from what the Bible actually says. Right. We got to take the words of scripture again and elevate them and then have those words define for us all of reality. Yeah. One of the things we're, we're I'm sure will be <clears throat> emphasized and we were aiming at in our doctrine of God conference is the creator creature distinction. And when you simply, I mean, if we're creatures and there is a creator, 
if anything good is going to come about in this world, it's not going to it's not going to come about through critical theory. It's not we, we, we will not bring it in by our own ability or what C.S. Lewis calls scientism. We're not going to be able to manipulate this thing and somehow get at justice. It's got to come from above. It's got to be the wisdom from above. It's got to be the justice that comes down from above, which going back to the back channels that that have been said, you know, we've got people that are so steeped in this this um, critical theory and manipulation tactics that even when we produce something like a, a truth, it's received and it's maneuvered rather mm-hmm. than repented. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So um, th- this uh, so in the in the critical race theory and intersectionality, you essentially have this materialistic worldview that that's looking at what's going on and that's trying to, um, you know, through a through a dialectic, trying to bring out some form of justice. But it's doing that without acknowledging the God who is mm-hmm. what's happening in the and we're seeing that in the culture in remar- remarkable ways. We're yeah. seeing that right now. We're seeing all kinds of pressure. We're seeing all kind of politics. I mean, it's kind of what we say when we say politics. Part of that meaning is manipulation. Part of that is critical theory. I'm, I'm making somebody. I'm making somebody sweat and I'm twisting in order to get them to do what I want them to do rather than doing it by the word, by prayer, by dependence upon the spirit and truth presented. I'm actually twisting, you know, that kind of thing to bring it about. Well, we're seeing that at crazy levels in our society. I mean, that's what the boarded up buildings on election day are all about, right? Well, I think we're seeing that same kind of thing in the church. We're seeing, we're seeing a pragmatism. I mean, I was talking to someone recently, one of the, biggest leaders in the whole Southern Baptist convention about uh, David Hughes, who we addressed it a long time ago. He's a pastor in, uh, at a Southern Baptist church, the one that's in happy cooperation with the Southern Baptist convention. And he had absolutely vile things in his, in his Sunday worship, mm-hmm. I mean, shockingly vile things, um, inappropriate songs, ladies dancing around to Britney Spears songs, like in the public worship of God, uh, all sorts of uh, corrupt behavior. And this particular leader that I was saying uh, said, this is, this is Canaanite, absolutely Canaanite. And I said, well, that's a false gospel. And I asked, would you be willing to support um, a humble um, recommendation to remove this church because of not being a step of the Baptist faith and message? And I've got like two or three examples there in the Baptist faith and message where I said, this, this is not in keeping with the Baptist faith and message. And the person said, well, no, I can't. Mm-hmm. And the response was, it's never going to happen. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Not must it happen. Should it happen. Should it happen. We have Canaanite worship. Well, Canaanite means you're not Israelite. Canaanite means you're not in the faith. You're preaching a false gospel. You're pagan. So we're going to be in happy cooperation with a church that preaches a false gospel. Because if we were to recommend a removal, it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't happen. And so that is... That is, that is a pragmatism that has gone so deep that we're no longer able to obey the God who is and trust the God who is. And I believe I, the reason I tell that story is, is, is to say that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. That's what's mm-hmm. so concerning because, okay, CRTI is bad. Okay, everything's on fire. Okay, what we need to do is somehow say that we're against these things, make sure that it's not taught, but it's not the real repentance that's necessary. We still have this whole pragmatic way of going about life and ministry that right. affects your systematic theology. You can't, you can't, you can't operate out of that worldview and teach hermeneutics accurately. Eventually that's going to find its way down into all of the classes that you teach at the seminary, into the, your method of ministry. So you're going to raise up a whole bunch of pastors that think this way, operate this way, which is antithetical to what the minister does when he enters into the pulpit. 
He is preaching a word entirely dependent upon the Spirit of God to bring about the, the fruit, the work. He's got to do it in faith. He's got to do it trusting Almighty God to change people's lives. Otherwise, you would never try to correct somebody unless you're going to try to do it in a pragmatic way that says, I'll, I'll, I'll somehow begin to threaten rather than do it uh, in faith and in dependence upon the Spirit. Yeah, and this gets to uh, why I've said repeatedly that we, we, have, have, we have enough theoretical inerrantists. We have enough theoretical evangelicals that say, oh, yeah, yeah, we believe the Bible, and they'll give you the exact answers that you need to pass a theological test. But when it comes to the street, when it comes to -to day-to-day living, they're going to look more like the culture and how they approach problems, how they address things, than what the Word actually says. Mm -hmm. It's because, yeah, you know, we answer things right, and we will say all the right things, and we'll have our systematic theology very pristine, but when it comes down to doing ministry, when it comes down to evangelism, it comes down to discipleship, it comes down to living in God's world as salt and light, well, the, the, we're exposed that um, we're far more theoretical than real mm-hmm. in terms of living in God's world the way that God has prescribed for us to live. One of the ways we articulate this in uh, the book Strong and Courageous, we're talking about like the right and left dynamic in America. And I said, you know, the left is like the uh, the child pitching a fit in Walmart mm-hmm. because he wants a candy, you know. And so that's the burning down the streets. We found out burn, burning down buildings can be a lucrative endeavor. I can end up getting the candy that I want. Or the flat screen TV. There you go. And the, the danger is that we also have a pragmatic right. And so they operate in one of two ways in such a situation. Um, first, they're in pragmatism, they might just like double the recipe and return like for like. They might just say, I'm going to, I'm going to, you want to see, you, you yeah. want to see racism? You want to see yeah. oppression? I'll give you oppression. Like that, that spirit. Uh, the other one is to pacify it. And so you, you pragmatically, y'all want the kid to stop screaming. And so mm-hmm. well, the kid wants, you know, this candy bar that costs way too much money. And so I'll give him this little, give him a little tiny, give him the mini candy bar, mini Snickers. So I can somehow pacify this thing that's going on. And so there's great danger in, in that dynamic that's going on. And again, you can see that replicated in the Christian world too. So you got the people that are actually bit by the CRTI yeah. uh, monster. And then you have, you're going to have this other group that comes in that is anti CRTI, but the danger is, you know, they, they're doing it in pragmatic right. ways. And right. we think, well, uh, what was that great quote? You told me an exchange of bureaucrats. Yeah, Timothy George is, uh, the exchange of one set of bureaucrats for another doth not a reformation make. Yeah. And I think that's what we're in. What's what we've seen. Sadly, I just have to admit that, but I think that's also a danger for some people who would agree with many of the critiques we have made and they just want to see another set of bureaucrats in there. And man, we just need to be done with bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. We need people who are humbly under the word of God and are willing to say, this is what the word says, regardless of the cost or consequences. This is what we're going to say. This is the stand we're going to take. This is where we're going to go. And it, I know it's hard and I'm not trying to throw stones at people that have unusual circumstances and situations, but when has following a crucified master ever been easy? You know, if they did this to our master, then we shouldn't be surprised if our stand for Christ costs us popularity, position, opportunity, status, you know, life. I mean, it has happened. It just grieves me that we talk about, you know, living radically for Jesus and, and be willing to go to a hard place and die. But at the first sign of somebody saying boo to you or how dare you, we, we cave and we, oh, okay, we didn't mean to offend you. 
You know, we've got to speak in terms that will somehow mollify you with all of your unbiblical godless ways of thinking and living mm. it just it doesn't work and i'm not i'm not trying to picture uh, a, a way of living the christian life that is just intentionally offensive but the gospel is offensive yep. the word of god is offensive to this world today to just quote certain scriptures today makes people mad and we're if the church is not willing to quote the bible unapologetically and say you know what I'm not going to be embarrassed about anything the Bible says. Then who in the world is going to speak for God? And if you're going to be faithful in your generation, it's actually your responsibility to appropriately present those truths. I mean, C.S. Lewis's quote about resistance thinking, where he says the problem is if you you only emphasize the parts of Scripture that are in step with the spirit of the age— uh, well, then you're not yeah. going to be relevant and you're also not going to have any any conflict. Um, but if you emphasize the parts of Scripture that are um, not in keeping with the spirit of the age, perhaps even contrary to the spirit of the age, then you will have conflict, but you will have relevance. You'll be relevant in your day and in the time to come. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. So it's like we, we've got our Bibles and we think, well, I'm just going to preach these these texts and these truths over here. <laughs> That's not going to work the days going forward. Um, And we need to trust God and say, if I really love people, I'm going to get down to the root. No more superficial. So Mm -hmm. no more, I said this, and now rather than repenting, I'm just going to say something else. Yeah, say it a little different. Um, I taught this, and now I'll go teach this other thing. Or, you know, I know that people um, have these kind of instincts and proclivities. And so rather than address really their problem down here, their unbelief, the root of their unbelief, I'm going to somehow massage the truth into their committed worldview and downplay the parts of scripture and say, well, this is just whispers and this is stuff, (laughs) this kind of stuff, and not actually go to the heart of where the unbelief is and present the truth of God right there. So that's what we need to do going forward. I mean, it's, I thank God that by what standard feels like it was, a uh, here's where we're at mm-hmm. pull the cover back and uh wield the sword. And now our book, uh, strong and courageous are okay. Here's the way forward. Right. We really want to continue to build. And we hope that these resources are very helpful to you as you think about what it means to live faithfully, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in the times in which we live. Yeah. There's a lot of temptations in this moment. You know, I feel them myself, and I'm sure there's more that I'm not conscious of that I'm uh, having to confront and deal with too. But one of the great temptations for those who see these things, who understand, yes, this is what the word says, this is how the word's being violated, is to take a scorched earth policy and just say, let's just nuke the whole thing. Let's just blow it all away. And well, yeah, uh, in one sense, you could do that. I have felt that way before in our culture. I felt that way in the evangelical world before. I've used analogies that have suggested that, you know, if you give a monkey a bunch of hand grenades and he just starts launching them, that, yeah, he's going to do some damage to good things, but the good that he will do by destroying bad things will be better. And so let's just do that. You know, And I, and I get that sense and that feeling, but that's not what we're called to do. And we're called to speak truth. We're called to be precise and accurate. We're, we're called to be guided by the word and not any kind of ideology that is out of step with that word, either on the right or the left. And so these guys on the right who say, well, you know, you never want to commend anything that comes out of the mouth of these folks over here, even if it's true, because they're not our guys. Well, that's not right. We're guided by a book. And what we've got to do is expose the problem show how the word of God does that, and then also corrects the problem so that we're not just scorching the earth, but we're actually trying to plant some seeds that will sprout into what is good fruit 
We're actually doing what the Bible calls us to do in building up and making disciples and proclaiming the gospel and seeing the church of Jesus Christ advance, seeing the kingdom of God come in power, seeing God's will done on earth as it's being done in heaven. And you can't do that if you just take a completely negative scorched earth policy. We rather got to say, okay, this is wrong. This needs to be torn down. We got to defend over here, but we've also got to build up over here. We've got to have both a sword and a trial. There you go. Amen. So it's farther up and farther in. It's a deeper reformation that uh, helps us and equips us to proclaim Christ faithfully and to follow him in these times. And so uh, thank you for listening to the Sword and Trial. And thank you uh, for all of your encouragement and support through By Amen. What Standard. It's been one year. Thank God with us uh, at all the fruit that he's produced uh, from these resources. If you haven't checked out the film or the book yet, we encourage you to get one. And uh, we encourage you to press on, you know, the New Testament tells us, do not grow weary in doing good because you will reap if you don't give up. Yeah. And if you appreciate this episode, then share it with others. And if you haven't subscribed, we encourage you to subscribe to this. Uh, thank you for all of your support and encouragement.